Join us now for Health for Life, brought to you by Hamilton Healthcare System. Today, we're talking with Dr. Evan Anderson of Anna Shaw Children's Institute in Dalton. First off, thanks for joining us today, Dr. Anderson. It's good to be here again. Dr. Anderson is a child psychologist at Anna Shaw Children's Institute at 1201 Burleson Road behind Hamilton Medical Center in Dalton. He specializes in the treatment of anxiety, the psychological assessment of children, and behavioral management for children who are experiencing developmental delays or have medically complex cases. He also provides parent-child interaction therapy, which is PCIT and parental guidance for behavioral management. He graduated from the University of Central Arkansas with a Ph.D. in counseling, psychology, and completed his internship in pediatric child clinical psychology at the University of Texas, Austin. Dr. Anderson, can you tell us about the Anna Shaw Children's Institute. Definitely. We are coming up on our two-year anniversary, I think, uh, this April. We are serving children ages birth to age 11 who are experiencing challenges with developmental delays. Our team uh, includes me, two developmental behavioral pediatricians, uh, physical, occupational, speech and feeding therapists, music therapists, some behavioral analysts, and many, many more dedicated professionals. Some of the psychological services we offer include individual counseling, family counseling, and just general behavioral support services. We also provide psychological testing. We recently added a neuropsychologist to our team to add to the depth of that assessment, so we're really excited about that. Assessment, of course, is is important for these kids because we want to understand them as an individual and uh, not only their weaknesses, but also their strengths. And then we also very much want to connect with the community, so we have a treatment navigator that uh, helps support our family through the treatment process. Sounds like a lot going on over there. Indeed. It's all available to families right here in our community. Today we're going to be talking about why having time to play is so important for kids. Dr. Anderson, why is play important? You know, in many ways, play is everything for kids. Uh, This is how they learn language. This is how they develop social skills. Uh, This is even what develops focus and concentration uh, in them. Uh, Play tends to enthrall them and keep them focused. And, you know, it it teaches them who they are. Uh, A lot of times uh, kids learn, you know, am I the type that likes to be in charge or do I kind of like to follow along with other kids' games? Um, It teaches them their strengths and weaknesses. You know, sometimes we we really focus on kids' strengths, which is obviously a wonderful thing, but it's also important for kids to to learn a little bit about their weaknesses and maybe what might be challenging for them so that they can learn to use those strengths to to overcome those weaknesses. Um, It also teaches them to uh, navigate boundaries. Um, They learn that people don't like it when you yell too loud or when you don't take turns. Or They also learn how the the world works through play. They learn that water is liquid, ice is cold, um, that some animals like to be touched and other animals don't. It's just all of these things that um, are introduced to them through play. Really, I think is what it comes down to is in kids engage in structured and unstructured play, these experiences shape the, the very structure of their brain and allows them to learn better moving forward. Well, you know, you mentioned structured and unstructured play. First, what is exactly, what is structured play? So structured play is goal-oriented play. So there's going to be a kind of an end goal 
And so it usually involves rules. It usually involves instructions. Some examples of this might be assembly toys like a model car or maybe a Lego set. Um, organized sports certainly falls into this. Board games, card games. This is important because it teaches kids to meet goals. You know, if you follow your steps and do what you're told, then you can meet your goal. Um, it teaches teamwork. Uh, sports are certainly good at this. You learn that you can accomplish more by working together than by just being a little bit more selfish. We mentioned focus and attention. As you have these very concrete steps to focus on, you can focus more on execution and how you accomplish a goal rather than uh, what the next step is. And then, of course, confidence. You know, meeting goals gives kids a feeling of achievement and and just gives them confidence. Confidence is so important in any age. It is. It really is. I, I, you know, in those unfamiliar situations, confidence can really get you a long ways. <laughs> it, it truly can. That's right. Uh, what about unstructured play? What is unstructured play? So um, sometimes I talk about this in the context of uh, driver's ed. Um, so if structured play was the written test, unstructured play would be the road test. This is the creative, uh, improvised, more open-ended play. And I'm not uh, advocating for creative and improvised driving but you know this is where kids apply these rules that they learn during structured play this is really kind of where the rubber meets the road it's essential you know um to really locking in these these life lessons. Um, some examples of unstructured play might be make-believe, whether it be with action figures or a dollhouse or um, just making up a game with your friends. Um, any creative play might fall into this, building with blocks, painting a picture. And this is important because it allows children to be able to create structure from scratch. You know, even though there's not set rules or a rule book to follow, all play ends up kind of in a semi-structured place anyway. But um, this increases creativity. And I think most importantly, it teaches them how to make mistakes. So when you make a mistake, how do you cope with that mistake? You know, you learn that mistakes might uh, impact others and uh, that might help you to not make that mistake again. And you you learn that, that you survive. You know, if you make a mistake, you live and you, you move on and you, and you get through it, which is an important lesson for kids to, to learn. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how to find the right balance between structured and unstructured play on Health for Life. We'll be right back. If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you. Welcome back to Health for Life. Today, we're talking with Dr. Evan Anderson of Anna Shaw Children's Institute. Dr. Anderson, now that we know the difference between structured play and unstructured play, how do we help our children find a balance between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's important going into this is that structured and unstructured play are equally important. I think sometimes we can put more weight on maybe more structured activities. But, you know, something we might look at in our own children is, you know, kids with too much structured play in their life, they tend to rely too heavily on rules and order and will find themselves unable to cope when things don't really go according to plan. So, you know, rules change all the time, whether it be because of weather or because of finances or whatever it might be. Um, 
just the real world's a messy place sometimes. And, you know, we find that this is likely contributing to the increasing anxiety that we're seeing amongst children. Kind of as, a, as an example of this is that teenagers right now are not as likely to get their driver's license citing that they they don't feel safe driving a car. And so just kind of the unsurety of, of being out driving the car is too much for them, and they just rather opt out and find other options. Um, so, so we really do want to add that unstructured play too. Kids that have too much unstructured play, on the other hand, uh, will find that um, it's difficult to be a team player or function within a society. And uh, whether we like it or not, most of society is structured. Um, there, there are certain rules and laws that we follow and that we expect everybody else to follow. And, you know, different kids are going to have different needs. Some kids need more structure. Some kids need less structure. So if you look at a child who has attention deficit disorder, they're going to gravitate naturally towards unstructured play, which is great, but we might have to encourage some structured activities for them so that they learn how to, to function within those settings. On the other hand, kids with anxiety, they're going to naturally gravitate towards the structured activities because they're predictable. And we're going to have to encourage them towards the unstructured play so that they know that even when things get a little bit messy and unpredictable, they're going to be just fine. As a parent, how can I help guide my children toward structured play? You know, this really comes down to planning. You just have to plan to make it happen. Just as structured play is organized, really, usually to make it happen, you have to set aside time to do that. Also, sometimes kids will be resistant to the structured play, especially when it's competing against screen time. So we'll have to help them and, and be there with them. You know, if they're, if they're building a Lego set, maybe teach them how to sort the pieces. Or if they're painting a picture, it's not going to disrupt their creativity if you show them how to paint a nice round circle, you know, or teach them getting in, getting in the teaching mindset. Also managing competition, uh, you know, sports and things are, are part of structured play. And competition is a good thing and that it can push people towards improvement and seeing kind of what their potential might be. But do you think there can be too much emphasis on competition? There very much can, because I think many times what we want for our kids to do is to push themselves to be better mm-hmm. without the need for competition. And if, if it's all about winning, what we actually see is that that cheating kind of creeps in. <laughs> oh, I got you. Okay. So they, they kind of take shortcuts because if the end goal is just to win, then you, you know, you find ways to win. But if the goal is to improve, well, then you're just going to get better. And that's what we want to instill in our kids. And then also just be a good model of, of positive mentality. You know, kids will get down on themselves saying they're not good at something, but that let them know, you know, you're just learning now, you're practicing, but you're getting better. And teach them that, you know, this mistakes are part of the process and, and you know, just teach them that, that they're doing good. Yeah, positive attitude goes so far. It really does. Now, what about unstructured play? So unstructured play is often more difficult for parents uh, because this is where children will experience failure. As difficult as failure is for children, it tends to be a lot more difficult for adults to watch their children fail. I've noticed that kids are very resilient when it comes to failure and making mistakes, but it's the adults that kind of that kind of feel the strain of that. And we talk about this in our social skills group at Anna Shaw in that when a child approaches a, a group uh, and wants to play with them and that group kind of says, no, thank you, and sends them on their way, the kid will run back to, to mom and dad and they're sad. And our reaction as a parent is to say, oh my gosh, that's their loss. They're just dumb kids and they don't know what they're missing. And, you know, we're trying to make our child feel better. But really all they're seeing and hearing is that uh, it looks like I disappointed mom and dad and they're having to make me feel better. When really a better reaction as a parent is to just say, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Well, we'll just try again. Let's let's see if we can find another group. Because that's really what it's all about, right? Is It's not that you're a failure as a person. It's just there wasn't a match of personality there. Right. And that's right. And that's fine. 
You know, you want to model healthy attitudes and reactions towards failure. You know, praise the child when you're seeing them do something that you want to see them do again. Well, Um, this goes back to having a positive attitude. It absolutely does. And what you'll find is, you know, there's a lot of overlapping benefits between the structured and unstructured play. And then allow the child to take the lead during these times because children almost never, I mean, I think I could... I could really say never, pretty confidently, get to take the lead in any other facet of life except for play. And this is really important for them to be in the lead every once in a while. So find safe environments, safe activities where you can really monitor them very little and they can... You know, they can go explore and do what they need to do. For younger kids, we found that it really helps if you narrate what they're doing. So if they're building with blocks, you can say, oh, I love how tall you're building your tower and you're being so careful with how you set that. And, And it helps them develop language and confidence. And for older kids, you might help them identify ways that their interests and talents might be relevant to a, to the community or how it might be relevant in their future, just to kind of connect their interests to being productive within society. Lots of great information there. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk about sibling rivalry and some tips on how to help siblings play better together. We'll be right back. Join us on a journey to better health. Health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new children's institute, cancer institute, endoscopy center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at HamiltonHealth.com. Hamilton Health Care System. Health for life. Welcome back to Health for Life today, talking with Dr. Evan Anderson of the Anna Shaw Children's Institute. Dr. Anderson, most of us are familiar with sibling rivalry. How can we help our children play better with their siblings? Yeah, so in many ways, uh, siblings are the best playmate that children are ever going to have. I talk to a lot of kids who are only ch- the only child, and they mm-hmm. are always just wanting a sibling, wanting a sibling. But on the same note... I think one of the number one concerns that parents come in with is that they are fighting with their sibling. And they all say the same thing. They said, I know, I know siblings fight. I know that. But it's really bad. Right. It's really bad. And, and so I do have sympathy for, for these parents that are struggling with these very intensive uh, sibling relationships. And, and so I just wanted to pass on some guidance for these, for these parents. Well, I think that's important because there's a lot of listeners that have uh, multiple children. And that's what you hear. They're looking at me. They're breathing on me. They're, you know, <laughs> this, that, and the other. It goes on and on. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, they'll find things to fight about. Right. And so I think the first thing to do is lead by example. That means taking time to play with every child in your household. Um, I know that sometimes it can be easier to play with the older ones because they're, they can communicate a little bit more effectively. Maybe their games are a little bit more concrete and easy to follow. Mm-hmm. And with the younger kids, communication can be a challenge. And following along with their games is even more of a challenge. But if our older siblings don't see us playing with the younger siblings and modeling how to do it, then they don't really know how to do it. And that's where the fights come in. So you, you want to model giving compliments if they do something good in a game. And, you know, sometimes you have to get creative you know, you can be like, hey, so-and-so is, is the expert on shapes in this household or on colors, if they're learning their colors. You know, obviously they're not the, the expert on shapes or colors, but 
that makes them feel good. That's important. <clears throat> and then um, modeling that uh, when you make a mistake, that you apologize. I think a lot of kids, when they make mistakes, they feel embarrassed themselves, or if somebody else makes a mistake, particularly a sibling, they'll really kind of hang them out to dry for yeah, it. Yeah, make a big deal out of it, sure. <laughs> yeah, and so as a parent, it's important to normalize mistakes and, and how to, to cope with those. And then also uh, just being flexible. So, you know, if, if somebody wants to kind of change the rules of a game, just this model, hey, yeah, that's okay sometimes to, to allow somebody to do it their way. Another thing you can do is to organize more quiet activities, more creative activities where they can sit down next to each other and create together, um, whether that be coloring a page or working on a painting together. It can be uh, also playing a board game together, which, you know, might lead to <laughs> some arguments. Mm-hmm. But, um, but especially with the creative play, it's easy to manage that um, because if one sibling looks at the other and says, you know, that drawing's, that drawing's dumb, you can say you can say, well, no, that's yeah, that's how they see it, you know. And and I think I like both of your pictures. And you don't have to say who is wrong and who's right. Like with the rule, usually somebody's right and somebody's wrong. So it allows them an opportunity to grow together. And then also provide conversation prompts for them. I think this is something that a lot of parents miss. They just kind of take for granted if they can talk, then they can have a conversation. So a conversation prompt. Uh-huh. Tell me about that. So um, I can give an example. In our house, we like to play a game we just call high-low. And and uh, at the end of the day, we say, what was the high point of your day? What was the low point of your day? And uh, it gives them an opportunity to, to talk about their favorite thing that happened that day. And if they have a grievance that they want to air, they can they can bring it up at that point. Or sometimes when we're uh, eating dinner, we might say... What's the coolest animal or who, you know, what, what's your favorite animal? Or if you could go on vacation anywhere, just, just ways to stoke conversation and get them thinking creatively and getting to know each other a little bit. Kids don't really know how to get to know each other. So even though they live in the same house, siblings, you know, they, they only learn what they observe. They don't really know how to extract that deep information inside of each each of us. You know, the things that we love and the things that, that really motivate us and things like that. So teaching your kids how to have a conversation is important. And then, you know, provide opportunities to be on the same team. This is another one that I think parents miss out on a lot. Have it be the kids versus the parents. And, you know, the parents the parents lose every time. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, make it in fun ways. So if you want to play a... A board game, make it the two kids versus the parents. And so that the the kids can team up together and build that bond together and get uh, and get used to working together. And I think that that reduces the number of fights that we see when they're playing on their own. Um, so just kind of it's almost team building. And then the last thing would be helping them to identify strengths. It's strengths in each other. Strengths in each other. Yeah. So I think all humans have this tendency to judge people by their weaknesses, by what they are not good at. And siblings are certainly no exception to that. And so as it goes back to modeling, where if parents can sit there and and model pointing out when people do things good, then the kids will start to mimic you. <laughs> I think as parents, sometimes we're a little bit shocked at how often kids will mimic us. And it seems like they always mimic us when we're doing the exactly wrong thing. But we just need to increase the their exposure to judging people by their strengths and not by, by their weaknesses. Now, earlier you mentioned dinner. 
How important is having dinner together as a family? You know, I think you, you got to look at it as spending time together as a family is essential. It is absolutely essential. And dinner, I just, you know, if it doesn't happen at dinner, I don't know when it's happening. So I think that's why dinner gets the emphasis that it does. But if you are not having dinner together, then you need to absolutely find another way to spend time together. Every day. Every day. Every day. And I think, you know, we fall into this trap sometimes in my family where it's a long day and we'd rather just kind of watch a TV show. And, you know, that's not the end of the world if you do that every once in a while. But you really want to, you really want to turn off screens, turn off phones, and just really concentrate on talking with each other. Because, I mean, really when it comes down to it, sometimes it's not the most entertaining conversation, but they're important. It gives people a chance to talk about what's important to them and uh, helps you to get to know each other. Growing up, we always had dinner together. Mm-hmm. We The TV was off, and we always had, there were five of us, we always had dinner together. And then as as we grew up and had families... I always did that with my family, and then I would see my sisters do the same with their family. They would always have dinner together. That was a very important part of the day. Mm -hmm. It's equally important because this is where I think kids are more likely to learn their parents' values. And, um, you know, throughout the day, parents enforce rules and boundaries and things like that. But at dinner time, the parents get to really discuss why they believe the way they do and you know, why things are important to them. And it's a very educational time for kids and for parents, for that matter. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's very important. It has been in in my family. Mm -hmm. Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for sharing all this great information. If you could leave our listeners with one word of advice about children and the importance of play, what would that be? I think it would be to uh, make the time for it. I I have previously talked about on this show uh, screen time and how as difficult as it is for kids to monitor screen time, I think it needs to be acknowledged that adults also have trouble monitoring and managing screen time in their own lives. And so um, it's important to put the screens down every once in a while and and actually engage with your children and uh, help them to to learn through play and help them to build those essential skills that they need to to make that happen. Now, as an adult and as a child, we are bombarded with screens everywhere. Every time you turn around, even in my car, there's a screen. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, I think... They have their place in our life. They've, they've really helped us organize uh, things, and it, it helps disseminate information effectively. But it's it's uh, it's important to acknowledge that a lot of the, the games that are on phones and even the way that articles are written are meant to capture our attention and, uh, and to keep our attention. And, and it's really just a distraction. And so if we don't give our kids time to step away from the screens, we find that they have difficulty focusing um, at school or when things get a little bit boring. Um, um, we find that their ability to kind of be patient and stick with something is impaired because they, they want something more instantly gratifying. Mm-hmm. And so these projects and these important skills that take a long time to, to organize, you know, they, they get lost. But what's happening now is kids get done with school. And then they go to piano practice, and then they go to a sports practice, and then they go to something else, and they're all structured activities. And parents fill up their schedules with structured activities. 
their kids' schedules with structured activities. And I think there's multiple reasons why they do this. One, they want them to learn these skills like music and and teamwork and all of this. But I think it it is very much contributing to this increase in anxiety and kids not really willing to step out on their own as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked about how scary it is to kind of just send your child out to into an unstructured environment and but it's really important because they don't actually truly learn it until they've applied it in the real world. And so I guess a parting word of advice would be to keep some of the structured activities, but also make sure you have time for the unstructured stuff, like like dinner around the table and things like that. Because if you if you fill up your day with with structured activities, which is very easy to do, then you're missing the whole other half of what a child needs to develop effectively. Dr. Anderson, this is your third visit with us, and we appreciate you coming back. It's always a treat. Thank you. For more information about Anna Shaw Children's Institute, call 706-226-8900 or visit hamiltonhealth.com slash children. For an appointment at the Institute, please ask your child's pediatrician for a referral. If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you. Thank you for listening to Health for Life, a presentation of Hamilton Healthcare System. 